0: It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, this is Jesus speaking to his friends and his followers. This then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So that's the Lord's Prayer, and we're picking up again. As I guess most of you know, we're kind of slowly just going through uh, the Lord's Prayer. And I'm aware as we do that, um, that prayer is something that most of us uh, at the Gate Church struggle with in some way. I've, I've heard people recently say things like, I find prayer intimidating. I find prayer boring. I find prayer confusing. I find prayer overwhelming. I find prayer nerve-wracking. And that's just me. And, and it's a great thing, isn't it? That Jesus knows that it's something that we all struggle with and we all need help to learn and to grow in. And so it's not just something that you're meant to automatically meant to do. Um, you, you become a Christian and suddenly you can, you know, prayer's just like, you know, you're just flying with it. No. It's the very reason Jesus teaches us to pray. He wants to help us. And he starts from the ground up. And so the third line of the Lord's Prayer is this, your kingdom come, there at the start of verse 10. And I guess it probably never feels like an urgent, pressing thing for us, God's kingdom. And so we may, may, may never think to include it in our prayers unless Jesus taught us to pray your kingdom come. In fact, kingdom, the kingdom of God is very prominent in the teaching and ministry of Jesus. It was central in the early teaching of Jesus' followers and and how the early church understood itself. So it's kind of funny that the kingdom of God uh, is somewhat contentious and there's a lot of confusion around it uh, in, in, in the UK church in recent times. On one hand, you've got some churches that seem to never stop talking about the kingdom, and yet it seems to have become something very different to uh, what Jesus and the apostles, his followers, talk about. And some churches have reacted against this by not talking about the kingdom at all, as if that's going to solve the problem. And they focus instead on, on words like gospel, because they're worried that talk of kingdom is actually part of an inevitable slide into theological liberalism, which it isn't. So so today we're going to think about the kingdom together and what it means to pray your kingdom come. What is the kingdom of God and how does it come? And as we do, let's just remember that we are blessed in this church to have people from a whole host of church backgrounds who have found themselves in this church at this time. People with a whole range of experiences on how we think and talk about the kingdom. So um, however um, familiar you may be or suspicious you may be of talk of the kingdom, we are going to grow together by learning from Jesus of his kingdom. And, and I hope, really, that I guess the main thing that I hope will happen today for us uh, as, as we do this is that we'll be encouraged and we'll be reassured by what it means to be part of his kingdom. So, firstly, what is God's kingdom? What is God's kingdom? Uh, at, at essence, it is this. It is the place of God's good, kingly reign. The place of God's good kingly reign. I think a really simple and helpful way to get it is that it's a word of two parts. You've got king and you've got them. Okay? Two parts. It's quite easy. And uh, this isn't very technical, uh, quite admittedly, but it helps simple souls like me. Firstly, king. A kingdom is all about a king or, of course, a queen. You only have a kingdom, it's obvious, isn't it, when there is a sovereign who rules and reigns. That what, that's what makes a kingdom different to something else, like a republic or something, It's the fact that there is a, a king or a queen, a monarch. In fact, you could go as far to say that a kingdom is all about a king, or, and all for a king or a queen. Ultimately, it's for their glory and their renown of the sovereign, and certainly how a kingdom fares depends on how the monarch and the sovereign king or queen Affairs. Their fortunes are, are bound up together. Now, I know nowadays, you think of, think of our kingdom, the United Kingdom and the Queen and, and stuff like that, and many other kingdoms around the world, the power of kings and queens over history has been somewhat eroded and is limited, and we have these kind of hybrid kingdoms with these democratic institutions and stuff. So the connection between the welfare of a kingdom and the, and the monarch is, is a bit looser, quite frankly, nowadays. These kingdoms of old had this stronger link between how it goes with the king or the queen, the sovereign, and how it goes with their kingdom. In name, but also in nature, a kingdom is all about a king. A king. Secondly, dum or dom, if you want. Now, this isn't a technical, so like anyone who's like into language and stuff, you would slay me, but th- this is how I help you remember this. It's about the domain or the dominion. Of that sovereign's rule. It's the domain or the dominion. It's where that king has authority and power and influence, where, where his rule and his reign extends. And so most often we think of this as a realm. It's a physical place, isn't it? It's, it's a piece of land known as a, a country. Uh, Queen Elizabeth is, is, is the head of state of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland and, and maybe some Commonwealth countries, although you never quite know. But it's, it's over particular places And so within that domain, charges of treason are really serious because there's someone or people who are within that domain of the sovereign's rule and yet they're acting against the sovereign and against the interest and the welfare of not only the sovereign but therefore the whole kingdom. Now when it comes to the kingdom of God, it's not about a particular physical place. It's not about a country or a land in, in the world. But it's the people and it's the lives over which that rule and reign extends. It's the domain of his influence. It, it, it's, it's, um, it's different to and more than God's kind of rule. You'd say God rules over all things. He's the creator of everything. He sustains everything. So there's a sense in which everything is his. But this is, this is those within that who submit themselves to God's rule in faith where God is honored and followed. Now, now I think broadly there's kind of, there's two wrong turns we can, we can make quite easily when we think about the kingdom of God. I've slightly alluded to them already. The first one is that we think of the kingdom of God and we see it as purely a social cause. It's a positive force of change in the world, but it's basically we're divorced from Jesus as king of this kingdom. And so the kingdom and the way we think and talk about the kingdom is basically a social movement. It's concerned with social justice, but not with the reign of Christ. And this is where I think most of the talk of the kingdom is popular in the UK church these days. People speak of the kingdom coming in projects of racial reconciliation or, or the kingdom's being built when we develop new food banks that we run from church halls or, or the kingdom's extending as we get involved in debt relief charities and, and, and deal with poverty and, and debt and those kind of problems help people escape from poverty. Now listen, all of those things are really, really good and indeed necessary. And that even what it might look part Uh, of of what it is, uh, of the kingdom of God to be kind of outworking in its coming, but they are not in and of themselves the kingdom of God, and especially not when they're completely divorced from the king of God's kingdom, from his work and his reign. If if our efforts to relieve poverty or our efforts to create racial unity or our efforts to overcome endless cycles of violence among young people basically replace the good news of the king, who he is, what he's done, what he's now doing, what he's coming to do again. If we replace the good news of him as central and, and, and our primary focus with these other things as good as they are, then for all the good they do, they're not a matter of God's kingdom. See, the kingdom of God does not advance by social justice, but it advances by the rule of Christ. Now, that's kind of on one wing. If you like, on the other wing, we can see the kingdom is essentially just this kind of spiritual thing, this future thing. It's pretty remote from life in the here and now. If anything, it's just a personal spiritual reality. It has very little to do with real life, what I do in the week and, and how I go about my relationships and my work life. And we shrink this kingdom down to just this Oh, it's like, it's when I go and worship on Sundays, it's maybe giving some money to the church, maybe a concern for foreign mission, and it's what's going to happen when Jesus returns. But very little to do with the rest of life today, very little to do with how I interact with my family and my work life and my social life and what I do do and don't do and how I spend my money. That stuff's my kingdom. Thank you very much. So God reigns up there and we do what we like down here and it's all very remote and very distant and very shrunk down now admittedly these are two kind of extreme positions i'm sure I was, i've described them everyone's like no that's, that, that doesn't really describe me or anyone else but but i do think we tend to veer towards one or the other and I, I, it's worth reflecting which one am i more drawn towards or do i veer towards as i think about the kingdom of god the kingdom of god is all about the reign of jesus as king in the hearts and lives of his people And as I've said, Jesus was all about the kingdom. So when he first opens his mouth to preach at the start of his ministry, it's in Matthew 4, verse 17, if you want to turn over. This is the very first thing that Jesus says. Mark records it as well. First thing he wants to open up with in his teaching, repent for the kingdom of God. Uh, Sorry, the kingdom of heaven has come near. In Mark, it's the kingdom of God. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's, That's where Jesus starts. It's not only where where he starts, but it goes on to be a major theme of his ministry. So the kingdom of God, as a phrase, appears 53 times in the Gospels, mostly coming from Jesus' mouth. In Matthew, it's called uh, the kingdom of heaven, and that appears 32 times. Now, those two phrases have not been mentioned once in the Bible before that point, not once in the history of God's people in the Old Testament. They were there as ideas, but but it just shows how front and center it comes when Jesus arrives on the scene. He comes as the king, and his work and his life ministry is to bring the kingdom. Bringing the kingdom of heaven near to us. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The king is bringing the kingdom. He's establishing God's present kingdom in the world. And so when the king arrives, so does the kingdom. And he brings his kingdom, and it is now here. It's not just a future, present reality. No, Jesus says the kingdom has come. And people hear that. And people are interested, intrigued, annoyed, jealous, perturbed. So Pilate, a Roman ruler who knew all about kingdoms because his whole life was bound up, of the kingdom of this world, the Roman Empire. He gets his time with Jesus, and he asks Jesus, are you a king, and do you have a kingdom? What does Jesus say? My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from another place. So Jesus is a king, and he brings a kingdom, but he brings a kingdom that is not of this world. That means two things. It means it's not from this world, but from another place. And it means it's not like a kingdom of this world, but it's like a kingdom of another place. See, God's kingdom, and Jesus brings it, comes from a different place, from heaven. That's why Matthew records Jesus uh, referring it to, to it as the kingdom of heaven. Heaven in his gospel. Heaven is the place. Heaven is the realm of God's kingly rule. It's where God is honored and glorified, where his will is done. Heaven is the kingdom of God. So when Jesus comes, he brings, and he comes to us from heaven, he brings God's kingdom from heaven to earth. And so God's kingdom is the inbreaking of the life of heaven on earth. It's the life of the world to come in life in the here and now. It's the life of the future in the present. And so when Jesus says in the middle of his prayer on earth as in heaven, it's not just about God's will being done on earth as in heaven. But it's also about God's kingdom coming. And I think it's also about His name being honoured. It goes like this. Father in heaven, would your name be honoured as holy in earth as it is in heaven? Father in heaven, would your uh, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? Father in heaven, would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? You see, heaven is the domain of God's rule and reign. It is where God's kingly rule is upheld and honoured. It's the place from where King Jesus came to. Uh, came from, and it's the place to which he has now returned, as king of all. And so our prayer is that his kingdom will come from heaven on earth. So it's a kingdom, a king and a kingdom from another place, but also uh, like another place and therefore not like this world. It means he's a different kind of kingdom different kind of kingdom that we have with Jesus. And it's because he's a different kind of king. And the kingdom goes the way of the king, doesn't it? So Jesus comes on a scene and he wants to teach and he wants to, to show people what the kingdom of God is and how they can enter it and, and what it's like to live in his kingdom with him as, as, as king. And so the accounts of Jesus' life in the Gospels, be like, they're like a mini trailer, like a, an introduction to us of life of the kingdom. And here is Jesus calling and empowering people to levels of moral goodness that are just outrageous and otherwise unimaginable. Here is Jesus bringing uh, uh, healing and physical restoration from crippling illnesses and disease and those who are blighted by them. Here is Jesus offering miraculous provision for people to meet the needs that they have like only God can. We read about Jesus loving and pursuing and honouring the, the last and the least and the lost. We, 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 we see him bringing in the promise of God's favour and of freedom from oppression and slavery. We see in Jesus this willingness to stand up to authority and, and to power when it's misused for selfish gain, even at great cost to himself. We see this and hear this teaching that comes with authority. And yet that is so good that transforms people's lives. We see Jesus going about establishing a place and a people of truth and of righteousness. Teaching people the way of love and of radical forgiveness in abundance. Showing and teaching people the way of kindness and and gentleness of heart. This is a totally different kingdom to the kingdoms of this world, and, and his work of bringing the kingdom of God near is nothing like we see in, in, in the worldly uh, kingdoms. You see, he, he achieves the bringing of the kingdom of God through a life of poverty and suffering and rejection. He didn't have any worldly power, it would seem. He didn't have any authority or significance, no political power, no academic greatness, no wealth. He wasn't of noble stock, was he? And it all culminates for Jesus as the kingdom comes in his coronation as God's king in this, this ceremony, this grand coronation ceremony of brutal torture, of nakedness, of torn flesh and blood and final rejection and abuse by the crowds and people spitting at him and taunting him and hating on him and, and this humiliating and painful death all alone. So we can say that the the throne from which his kingdom ruled uh, ruled is established is this Roman institution of execution, the cross, the most brutal way humankind has ever come up with, killing its own. And and the crown that he wears, the kingly crown, is that crown woven of thorns, stained in his blood. And his kingdom is secured, not ultimately by his life, but by his death. This is the king and this is his kingdom it's a very different type of king and it's a radically different kingdom that he brings near to us in his birth and his life and his ministry and his death and his resurrection and ascension and, and so his kingdom is now established by the good news of who he is and what he's done it's established that by the good news that the king has come and he has brought near to us the kingdom of God. That is what is known as the gospel. It's the news that Jesus is king. And so after Jesus' life, the good news of that kingdom was proclaimed and it was spread. And it was a prominent theme in the preaching uh, as the church was established and it carries great weight and significance in these letters we have in the New Testament as, as the Christians are trained and taught and schooled in what it looks like to live the life of the kingdom. Well, it's their never-present idea there. You see, God's kingdom is the reign of Christ over his people as Savior and Lord. It's the place where Christ rules. And so it is hearts and it is lives where Christ's name is honoured as holy, where his will is done, and where he has the influence of a king. It means his kingdom is where lives increasingly look like his. For the kingdom, after all, is all about and all for the king, isn't it? So Jesus taught us to pray, God, your kingdom come. How does God's kingdom come? Well, the really important thing for us to see as Christians is that the kingdom comes, uh, Becky's kind of already, already referred to this earlier, it comes in two time spans. There's two horizons on it. We can say, as yes, we said already, because Jesus has come. The kingdom is here, yes, and yet it is still to come. The, the kingdom is present, yes, and yet it is not yet present. It is now, but also not yet It's here and present now, but it's not clearly seen. It seems like it's weak and small and slow. It doesn't look like the kingdoms of the world. And so we may be tempted, you may be tempted to write off Christianity or write yourself off as a Christian for that reason. Because it just doesn't seem impressive, doesn't seem great, doesn't seem like it's really changing the world. And that's because it's also not yet. And when the time of the kingdom is fully present and here, it will be unmistakable. Or we'll see it. It won't be hidden from people in any way. And it won't look weak or small or insignificant anymore. It will be a kingdom of power and glory and greatness and wealth and might. So so we live in the one. We live in the now and yet we... We pray and we look towards and we expectantly hope for the not yet. And so your kingdom come is a prayer that covers both of those time spans. It, it, it's right here, right now, God, would your kingdom come and we, would we experience it and live in it and, and know the blessing of it? And yet it's also that longing and that looking, God, would your kingdom come in the end? Would, would, would what is promised in the end become the glorious experience of the present? Right. In, in the here and now, God's kingdom comes by the king building his kingdom. See, any talk of us building God's kingdom or being those who bring God's kingdom in some way, that's never to be going to lead us astray into these other things. No, God alone, the king builds his kingdom. God builds his kingdom through the work of of King Jesus. So we, we, when we read about the kingdom, we enter into the kingdom, we receive the kingdom, we possess it, we even inherit the kingdom, we enjoy its benefits, we become part of it by faith in Jesus, and we take up the promises of the kingdom for ourselves, yes, and we're told that we can look for the kingdom and we can pray for it, of course we can, because we're praying for it here, and we can seek after it. We're also warned that people can reject it and refuse to enter it. But we are never said to bring it. We're never said to build it. We're never said to advance or establish God's kingdom. It also means we can't destroy it or bring it down, which is really good news for me. So Jesus teaches us to pray to the one alone who establishes his kingdom in people's lives in the world. God, you do it. Bring your kingdom. Build your kingdom. Establish your kingdom. Now listen, it's not that we have no role in the kingdom. We do. We can do things for the sake of God's kingdom. This this is kind of the main way we can get involved in the work of establishing his kingdom is to pray that he would do it, I think. I think that's the first thing. We can also proclaim the kingdom of God. We can proclaim the king of the kingdom to others by telling them about him. But it's God alone that gives people the kingdom. It's God alone that brings people in. It's God alone that establishes and extends his kingdom. We never act upon the kingdom. We never never have authority or power over it in any way. It is never subject to us. It is above us and greater than us. And here's the thing. Today, the way that Christ does that, the way that God is building his kingdom, we see and we experience that in and through the local church. It's not a political agenda. It's not a nation state. It's not an earthly kingdom. It's not any form of Christian nationalism. You want to see the kingdom of God at work in the world today breaking forth? Just look around the room. (laughs) Do it. Look around the room. Look at these people. This is the kingdom of God breaking forth with power in the world. This is the present manifestation in this age of God's kingdom. Very impressive, huh? But it is, in God's way, it is impressive. It's amazing. It's in the lives of those who are in the church. Those who are by faith united to Christ through the gospel, who the Holy Spirit dwells in, where the kingdom of God is seen and experienced. That's the place. We are the place. You are the place of Christ's rule and his reign right now. God's kingdom is at large amongst us. You see it in the faithful hope that you've seen in people through suffering. You see it where people are fighting and battling really hard, but really struggling against remaining sin. You see it in experience and others around you striving to love, striving to honor others above self. though so much in them pulls them away. You see it in people seeking to sacrifice so many things for the sake of the last, the least, and the lost. You see it in servant-hearted attitudes dictating increasingly people's lives. That is the kingdom of Christ that is God's kingdom that is God's kingdom coming do you know what it means it means not my kingdom coming it means not your kingdom coming so seek first his kingdom and not your own pray Lord would your kingdom come I I just think there's, there's this thing that's really important to remember on this, I, I, I need to remember, and it's that the kingdom of God, we see it and experience it in the context of the local church, and yet God's kingdom gloriously is not limited to any particular local church, or indeed any particular Christian, or any influential leader or pastor of this church, past, present, future. I mean, it seems so obvious, and yet we so quickly get focused on our own particular church, our own particular ministry, or or a particular person, or internet speaker, or writer, or whoever it is that we find so helpful, and we shrink the kingdom of God down to only what they're doing, or we're doing, or, or, or what we're involved in. And we wouldn't ever say it like that, but we can functionally live and believe it like that. But listen, the kingdom of God is gloriously and graciously much bigger than us. It's much greater than what he is doing amongst and through us. God's kingdom work is bigger than what he's doing in your life. And it's bigger in our local community than what he's doing in and through our church. And it's much bigger across our city than what he's doing in our church, or even the churches that we partner with or align with or belong to in some way. Up and down our country, it's much bigger than the networks and the families of churches that we belong to. And of course, across the world, it's much greater than us. The kingdom of God is seen and experienced and known and expressed in the local church. So much bigger than any one church, any one gospel family, any one group of Christians. And so that can encourage us to have a big vision for God's kingdom in the here and now. That is God's kingdom here, present tense. But also we're to be expectant and pray for that not yet of God's kingdom. God's kingdom to come. Because one day his kingdom will come. The king will return. And in that day, his kingdom will be all in all. It's promised to us. We saw it gloriously in, in, in the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible last term. And whilst, yes, the kingdom right now seems weak and seems small and it's flying under the radar, even unimpressive. And you might wonder if it's all worth it and whether you've backed the wrong horse as your life as a Christian takes twists and turns, be sure of this. In that day, in that day, it will be all power and glory and greatness forevermore. Jesus has walked onto the stage of history once to bring his kingdom near. And he will walk onto the stage of history again to bring his kingdom home. And he will bring it in his fullness. He he will come as a king to finally establish his kingdom and put all in order. He'll come as a king to finally overthrow his enemies and cast out all of those who have refused to enter his kingdom and receive the life he offers. He'll come as a king to rid his kingdom of all that would ruin it and to bring it into peace and joy and the life that he intends for it. He'll bring final healing and he'll bring final victory over sin and he'll bring final and full freedom and complete removal of all pain and suffering and and he'll bring full peace between people and restoration and harmony and union between us and with the world as well and with God and he'll he'll sort it all out. This is the not yet of the kingdom. This is the future. This is the final coming of the kingdom that God will achieve and that we will receive. And so asking for the kingdom to come is asking for the king to come and to do that. It's hard waiting, right? It's really hard. You know, like young kids waiting for Christmas. You might not know, but I'm, you can, I'm sure you can imagine this. They're so hopeful of it coming. And yet when they're at a certain age where they have no perspective on time, they still haven't quite got what tomorrow or yesterday, you know, so there's a stage where tomorrow just means everything in the future and yesterday just means everything in the past. Um, when they're, I don't know, two or three or something. And so trying to explain to them, Christmas is coming, yeah. It's, when's it coming? You know, you can't, you can't explain it to them because they just, they just can't get it. They're so hopeful and yet they have no perspective or grasp on time. Is it today, Daddy? Is it now? No, but it but it is coming. Just wait a little longer, my little child. It'll be here and it'll be worth it and it'll be so good. It will surely arrive and it will be worth the wait when it comes. That's us. And while we wait, we are a people of the kingdom and we're receiving a kingdom even now that cannot be shaken. And our lives are being formed into kingdom lives that put on display what life in this kingdom looks like Sure, imperfectly, but truly and really. And we wait for our king to come and make it all good. And we pray, Jesus, would your, would your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? Let's pray that together. King Jesus, we praise and thank you that you are a king of a kingdom that is not of this place, that is not of this world, and that is not of us. We want to lay aside our own kingdoms, our own projects of glory for ourselves. We want to receive again the blessing of life in your kingdom. And Lord, we long and we look for the day when your kingdom will come fully and finally and forever. Keep us hoping and waiting and expecting. Keep us joyful. And would your kingdom come now and today in our lives and in our church, even while we wait for it to come on that final day. For yours is the glory and the fame forever, Lord. Amen.